So what were you doing the day of the moon landing? Oh, that's a day I'll never, ever forget. Certain dates you remember because they, they, they have an impact on your life. This was one of them. On July 20th, 1969, Ed Carfield is a captain in the Marine Corps, and he's adjusting to life in a war zone for the first time. He's been in Vietnam for about two weeks at this point, away from his family, adjusting to cold coffee and cold showers and sleeping on a cot. He's getting used to the constant threat of danger. On his first day there, he heard two bullets snap through the air just above his head. And now he's at a new base, Hill 34. The Marines tell him to expect more incoming fire later that night. Maybe people were trying to scare me. Uh, they didn't have to try very hard. Although he went through rifle training like any other Marine, Carfeld is a lawyer. He's a defense attorney for Marines facing court. And he's in this part of Vietnam because that's where the trials are being held. The courtroom isn't a courtroom. Not really. It's a hooch, which is military for hut with a metal roof. On this particular day, Carfield is defending some kid who got caught with contraband. He was about 18 years old. There was an inspection, and in the lint of the pocket of his trousers, they found a marijuana seed. Around 11 o'clock, 11.30, we're in the middle of this court-martial, and I'm examining a witness, and uh, all of a sudden, a, an F-4 fighter jet flies right overhead. As loud as could be, shakes the building. You can't hear yourself think. He and the rest of the court stop the trial to watch this fighter jet. And once it's quiet enough that he can hear his own thoughts again, Carfield has a moment of reflection. And I sit there and I'm thinking, here I am. There's a war going on. There's Marines out there fighting for their lives. Americans are functioning directly in the fight for freedom in this far, foreign corner of the earth. I'm defending this 18-year-old kid. We're having a marijuana seed in his pocket. There's protests going on in the country. Some 400 demonstrators are arrested. Two soldiers are injured and tear gas. And we're landing a man on the moon. The Eagle has landed. Roger Twain. Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys. July 20th, 1969, I said, this is surreal. At this point, Carfield is eager for a taste of normalcy. An officer tells him there's going to be a show that night. Some entertainers are coming all the way out to Hill 34 for a performance. Like a Bob Hope type thing. So Carfield gets himself ready. It's getting dark when he heads to the club. He's still thinking about the incoming fire the Marines warned him about. And this club is really just a thatched roof hut with some overhead fans stirring the humid air. Marines are packed into every inch of this small room. So I'm about maybe five feet from the stage, and it was a very cramped quarter, so the stage itself was not very big. The performers are there, and it was wonderful. I mean, it was just a, a few moments of being back in the real world, uh, where there were pretty girls, rock musicians, people sitting around having a drink, having a good time. And it was a memory of what things were, you know, two, three weeks prior. Part of that night's performance had featured a comedian and dancers, but the climax of the show is a young blonde woman who can't be older than 20 a lead singer. She launches into a rendition of Stevie Wonder's Uptight. They're, they're playing, and all of a sudden, she just falls down. And for a moment, you know, the bands continue to play. We think this is just part of the act. They're all, you know, joking around. But then the band stops. And I look down, and there's blood in her, in, in her 
blouse. She's been shot. And then she dies right there on stage. The Marines scatter, yelling that there's a sniper in the camp. Carfeld runs to his hooch to grab his weapon. He didn't learn until later that the singer was an Australian named Kathy Wayne and that the bullet was likely fired by one of the Marines, someone who Kathy had come to entertain. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi. I'm Bijan Steven, and I'm the host of Eclipse. I'm a journalist who's covered everything from books to TV to music. I love video games, and I am a child of the internet. And that last bit, I think that's also why I love history. Through the internet, I've gotten to learn about all kinds of marginal hidden stories. It's convinced me that the past is our best guide to the present. So that's why I'm here. I'm interested in tales from the end of the archive. Stories, in other words, that were eclipsed, a, you know, overshadowed by Father Time. Like, what important events did we miss just because we were paying attention to something else that day? What stories were thrown below the fold because they happened in the wrong place or to the wrong person? What did we not notice? This is the history we're interested in here on Eclipsed. In the end, what unites all these stories is that we find them meaningful and that we think you will too. Me and the rest of Team Eclipse will bring you new reported episodes every week. You'll learn about everything from stock market crashes to the destructive power of fruit flies. Together, we'll explore the dusty corners of the past, and I'll be your guide, the Virgil to your Dante. In this three-part series, we're telling a story that was eclipsed by the moon landing. That's one small step for man. Kathy Wayne a young Australian pop star is shot dead on an American military base. It's the sort of event you could picture becoming an international incident. But the entire world is fixated on the moon landing. Including Kathy Wayne's fellow Australians, like this excited reporter for the Sydney Sun. It's still almost impossible to believe that right out there in front of me there are three men strapped into their seats at the top of that huge rocket. Kathy's story didn't get the attention it deserved because we were looking elsewhere. And as we'll see, that lack of attention may well have robbed her family of a chance at justice. Kathy was one of hundreds of Australian musicians who flooded to Vietnam to entertain the troops. And this is their story too. The legacy of Australian musicians in Vietnam isn't just about Kathy's murder, though obviously we want to honor her memory. There's a larger story here. One about what happens when the highs of teen pop stardom meet the horrors of war. This is episode one, The Moon and the Pop Stars. In the 1960s in Australia, there was a show called Brian Henderson's Bandstand. It was the little brother to American Bandstand. The show featured some of the hottest acts in Australian pop music, and regulars were known as the Bandstand family. 
Other groups came through too, including the three brothers who made up the Bee Gees, who appeared when they were just little kids singing folk music. The three brothers, the Bee Gees. You know, before they grew beards and put on tight pants and kept people up all night dancing. A lot of the bandstand family was as big as they could get in Australia. There was always the question of whether they break through to the international pop scene, you know, like the Bee Gees. And that's what all the other performers were striving towards. Bandstand featured a lot of very young artists. And two of the youngest were these blonde teenage pop singers, same age, both from the working class suburbs of Sydney. And they both would have their lives forever altered while performing in Vietnam. One was known as Little Patty. The other was Kathy Wayne. Kathy first appeared on Bandstand in 1966. <laughs> you're 16, therefore all this year you're going to be known as the Bandstand Baby. And so shy she could barely speak in the onstage interview. Are you? Here's our Bandstand Baby. This Bandstand appearance at age 16 is a big opportunity for Kathy, who still has a long way to go in showbiz. She's got an agent at one of Australia's best talent agencies, but she works as an assistant at that same agency to earn money while she waits for her career to take off. The other blonde 16-year-old on bandstand is in an entirely different situation. And he is someone, well, we all know who she is, Little Patty. It's hard to describe just how big Little Patty is in 1960s Australia. We got to talk to her, and she's the most humble former teen pop star you'll ever meet. I'm amazed at the amount of times I can hear my own heartbeat. She was even a little bit anxious about her interview with us. And I'm not super anxious at all, but I've been anxious enough to hear my heart. <laughs> we wanted to talk to Patty because her story is interesting in its own right, but also because we can't talk to Kathy, and because we know they had remarkably similar lives, careers, and even dreams. Little Patty came on the scene at the age of 14, but she isn't your typical child star prodded into the spotlight by her parents. In fact, she and her family never even intended for her to be a performer. It just sort of happened, which makes her success that much more incredible. My record was called He's My Blonde-Headed, Stompy Wompy, Real Gone Surfer Boy. Pretty long. I had number one record, then it went to number two because the Beatles were number one, etc. So that was most enjoyable and I was envied by all of my friends. While Patty's hit is going back and forth on the charts with I Want to Hold Your Hand, the Beatles visit Australia. I went to the stadium, which is a venue in Sydney, to see them, and of course they're wonderful. And I did what every other kid did, you know, stood on the chair and screamed, and everyone was looking at me because I was a bit famous and being stupid. Once the show's over, Patty thinks she's out of the spotlight for the evening. But then the Beatles manager invites her to a special event. Paul McCartney's 22nd birthday party. Patty's still young enough that she has to get permission from the child welfare department every time she makes an appearance on TV. So to go to Paul McCartney's birthday party, she has to call home and get permission from her mom. I had to find a phone box and uh, I said, Mom, I think I'm going to be late. She said, who's looking after you? And I told her who was, you know, she said, yeah, you just have a lovely time. When Patty arrives, she's a wallflower. It's a pretty intimidating scene. 
I mean, imagine your middle school self going up to the biggest star in the world at his birthday party. The place was full of beautiful models and they were, oh, you know, drop dead gorgeous and there's silly me, 15 and not gorgeous. And I was just sitting there, you know, my shy self on show. Patty is Australia's pop star hero, the one battling the biggest band in the world at the top of the charts. But it's a lot to ask of a young person. Patty doesn't know what to do with herself at the party, and she probably has homework to do. She's just sitting there, but then she sees all four of the Beatles walking through the party in her direction. I got such a surprise that the Beatles surrounded me and talked to me about my record, and oh, I can still remember the feeling. And they were spent a lot of time with me, and I thought, wow, this is pretty special. After meeting the Beatles, Patty tours all over Australia with all the biggest Australian acts. And when international performers come through town, she works with them as well. I travelled with wonderful people. I was very protected, but I had my eyes wide open. I didn't miss a trick. So life was very much a learning experience all the way for me, and it still is. I'm a sticky beak. Can you, can you explain what that means for American oh, listeners? It means I'm inquisitive, curious, have to see it all. At the same time, I really, you know, I wasn't a natural performer because before I became a performer, I was quite nerdy. So I had to learn to show off, really, and got pretty good at showing off. She's getting better. Her career is flourishing. But once you've had a hit record hung out with the Beatles at Paul McCartney's birthday party, toured every part of your home country, and you're only 16 years old, what are you going to do next? On the other hand, while Patty's career continued to grow, her family and her country were going through a dark time. In 1962, Australia decided to join the United States to fight in Vietnam. Now, it's 1966. The war has dragged on for four years. And Australia is sending more and more young men to the battlefield. In our street, with the exception of one house in four blocks, every single family had a son who might have been conscripted. One of those young men was Patty's older brother, Joe. So Patty's family was waiting for the call. And one day the family phone did ring. And it was the Australian Department of Defence. But they weren't calling for Patty's brother. They wanted little Patty. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. In April of 1966, Patty had just turned 17. I was home with mum one day, and I think I probably would have had a gig to go to that night. And, you know, the one black phone in the lounge room rang. Patty didn't know who the caller was, but she knew from her mom's tone that this call was important. It was clear the adults were talking about Patty's future. The caller's end of the conversation was always brief, but her mom talked a great deal. I heard my mum say, oh, I don't know about that. I'll have to ask a father. Mm, that's not a question I could answer. And when she got off the phone, she said that it was a, a man from the Department of Defence and that he was asking for her and my dad's permission to send me to Vietnam to entertain our forces. Patty knew immediately that she wanted to go. She wanted the adventure. A chance to go abroad was a huge deal, and she was attracted to the idea of serving her country, even if she didn't have much of an opinion about the war itself. Patty's mom took her side, but Patty's father was another matter entirely. And this split in the family mirrored the split in Australia. It was very much a country divided. My father was bitterly opposed to the Vietnam War, so Dad was on that side. I have to say this, my mother was a very sweet, lovely person, and my dad, <laughs> Dad uh, wasn't, was not sweet. And Mum, in an effort to talk him into the permission for me to go, would say things like, oh, Joseph, it's all right. I think we can trust this man who phoned. She's going to get fed. Three meals a day, soldiers will be looking after her with 50 caliber machine guns. And what's more, the man who phoned, we can trust him because, after all, he's from the government, which is very funny. No one trusts any government here. At first, Patty's dad held firm. But he finally started wearing down once Patty's co-performer was on board for the trip. Cole Joy was the biggest of names in Australian music, and Patty had already toured extensively with Cole and his band, the Joy Boys. So Patty's dad changed his mind. He let her go with one condition. As long as I went to the library and read some books about Vietnam, there weren't many. There were books about this place called Indochina. I did know that it wasn't just a tiny little conflict that it was an actual war. You know, bodies were coming back to Australia too. Once we were landed in Saigon, it was very, very serious and you just knew it, you know. It was, uh, oh, I'm on another planet now. Patty played her hits for groups of hundreds and sometimes thousands of adoring Australian troops as soon as she arrived. There were Australian boys who all looked like my brother, actually. <laughs> and of course, I thought of them as that too. Maybe I reminded them of their girlfriends, their sisters, mothers, whatever. They 
would confide in me and they'd cry sometimes. And, you know, I had to grow up too to deal with comforting them. And then, just six days into her time in Vietnam, Patty saw a side of the war she never would have expected. On the next episode of Eclipsed, Patty finds herself in the midst of a very dangerous situation. And soon, other members of the Bansen family follow Patty to Vietnam, including her friend and fellow blonde-headed pop singer, Kathy Wayne. Eclipse is a production of Campside Media. It's hosted by me, Bijan Steven, and written by Michael Canyon Meyer. We're produced by Lane Gerbig and Joe Hawthorne. Archival research by Caitlin Rathy, with additional research by Morgan Lee Davies. We're fact-checked by Jordan Reed. Our engineer is Garrett Tiedemann. Our theme song is by Doug Slateman. Our executive producers are me, Bijan Steven, and the rookie contender for Data of the Year, Michael Canyon Meyer. The executive producers at Campside Media are Matt Scheer, Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Vanessa Gregoriadis. And special thanks to avgeeks.com for letting us use some archival audio in our trailer. If you want to say hello or what's up, drop us a line at eclipsedcampsidemedia.com. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Bijan Steven on Twitter and Twitch, but not Instagram. That's different. I mean, not really. It's just a different username. Anyway, thanks for listening. See you next time. <laughs>